In today's episode of the Amman Wire podcast. The Prophet and the Sahaba, they recognized what the end goal was. They recognized where the road was, was heading, right? We come from Allah, we go back to Allah. That's it. That's, that, that's the end of the story. People are going to go. Leaders are going to go. Hard times are going to come. Bad times are going to come. Soon we're going we're, we're, we're to die uh, and we're going to be held to account for our deeds. Everything else is temporary. We're all going to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah isn't going to ask us who the president is. He's going to ask us about our faith in him and, and our devotion to the sunnah of Rasulullah and then our service to, to this deen and, and to humanity. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Imad Wire podcast. Salim here, joined my by co-host Gaidar. Assalamu alaikum Gaidar, how are you? Wa alaikum salam. Salim, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm uh, a little tired. I've been uh, staring at a you know, map of red and blue states for like days. Um, and uh, the election still wasn't over. And um, it's like right. Thanksgiving now and it still doesn't seem like it's over. Um, yep, so I, I just look a little tired, you know. I mean, in 2016, we had the first episode of our podcast the day after uh, the election. That's right. Which is I what remember we were, that. Yeah, we were planning to do that again this year, but you know, it's like I don't know how many weeks it's been now, and it's still going on. And we're like, it's Thanksgiving time, so we need to just sort of like get this, you know, make something out of it the best we can, Inshallah. you know, with the information we have. Um, you know, it's a strange time that um, we're sort of living in, you know, uh, sort of the uncertainty of of uh, what's going on. You know, I think a lot of people are, you know, thinking everything's going to turn out a certain way. But, you know, if you look at history, I mean, uh, just look up uh, the election of 1876 and you'll see some weird, some strange things that happen um, that sort of uh, have a lot of parallels to what's going on now. But, you know, let's just make the assumption starting off today that, you know, Mr. Trump is is on his way out. So are you going to miss him, Gaidar? Not really, no. Uh, we're actually looking forward to a new beginning as soon as possible. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, there are so many things that depend on our attitude and, you know, it, it's what you're given. So, uh, so you have to make the best out of it. So inshallah, uh, to, to some sort of, uh, a better start inshallah. So I, I've been thinking about, yeah. I've been thinking about this and like, you know, as much as, uh, you know, there is to say about him, there's one thing I'm going to miss. And that is that this individual is a case study par excellence of the nafs the epitome of all the things that we read about in the books. It's like a real life example, you know, but it's, it's so just, overt though. <laughs> it's I know, so, but that's, that's why it's, it's so like ridiculous so, and comical. <laughs> it's I know like, you, you uh, wouldn't believe it. Right. Yeah, but anyways, so, so, um, you know, with that said, um, I like to welcome our, you know, two uh, guests who we're very excited to have on the program today. Uh, our first guest, uh, Sheikh Salman Yunus, who is uh, a native uh, of New York. He graduated from Stony Brook University with a degree in political science and religious studies. He studied uh, with numerous scholars uh, locally and abroad, uh, including in Jordan, and he has uh, finished his PhD at Oxford University, uh, where he um, he still lives in the United Kingdom. He's a research fellow at the Oxford Center for Islamic Studies. Uh, so I would like to welcome first Sheikh Salman Yunus. Assalamualaikum, Sheikh Salman. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you guys. It's a pleasure. Yes, we're very excited to have you on, as well as our uh, our other guest, Yasin Shibli, 
who is, um, I think, well known to a lot of us. He's an executive director of CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations in Florida. Um, he's a civil rights attorney. Uh, he has also a degree in political science, um, concentrating in international relations from SUNY Buffalo. He's uh, been uh, on media, uh, you know, speaking about a lot of civil rights issues and uh, issues related to Muslims. Um, and in addition to his civil rights work, you know, he's also um, taught courses in, you know, Islamic belief and law and history. Um, and, you know, Hamdul is a very, um, you know, well-rounded guest for us to, that we're very honored to have join us as well today. Assalamualaikum and welcome, Sidi uh, Hassan. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. MashaAllah, honored to be with you, brothers. So I guess to start off, you know, before we get into a lot of, you know, things that we want to talk about post-election, um, let's just step back for a moment. And, you know, when I think the, the election results were um, sort of seemed to be trending towards, um, you know, Biden winning the the uh, the uh, the presidency, I think there was there was a sort of initial like, at least I, at least I saw like on Twitter, for example, a lot of Muslims like sort of like jumping on and like immediately trying to like give advice and 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 sort of uh, unpack all these sort of things that you have to be wary of or this and that uh, sort of neglecting sort of just the emotional response that I think a lot of people just needed to have, you know, just that, you know, being for some people, you know, the last four years were very difficult um, and they just needed it was just a chance of sort of like a relief, um, you know, a chance to breathe again. So, uh, you know, what were your sort of initial impressions or, you know, in terms of the emotions that, you know, that you appreciated just from the initial people, like the initial reaction that you had? Sheikh Salman, I'll start with you first. I was, it was a bit of a roller coaster because, of course, this was the first election where, you know, we didn't get the results on election night. Um, and so I remember, um, I went to sleep because it was pretty late over here in the UK. We're what, five hours ahead of you guys. So when, when, when they were counting the, uh, the ballots, um, you know, I went to sleep. Biden's ahead in Ohio. Biden's ahead in, you know, various other uh, states. Uh, I wake up. Trump's won Ohio. Trump's, you know, won Florida. And, you know, I, I, I had a sense. I knew that the million ballots would come in later and stuff like that. But it was, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm someone who gets nervous and shaky easily, but in my mind, it was just, I can't see this guy for another four years, Trump. You know, I just can't, <laughs> I can't, because of some of the things that you've mentioned about, you know, this yeah. guy's like the embodiment of, uh, you know, like nefsanic evil that we, that we read about and we're, we're, we're taught to avoid at all costs in our, in our, in our religion. Um, so when Biden won, you know, even though I know there are, there are issues with him, I think there was a great sense of relief that uh, Trump wasn't going to be continuing his presidency. Uh, and I could imagine that, you know, a lot of other people uh, were feeling that same, that same relief as well, uh, which is why actually in my, own, in my own way, even on social media, I didn't immediately jump on the mm -hmm. let's attack Biden, you know, let's yeah. do the bo both sides type of rhetoric right. that we often see. I was like, let people have their breathing space. Um, and... Um, uh, because it's, it's, it's understandable based on what this person, you know, what Trump's done, his actions, his words, uh, that a lot of people, you know, even though they didn't like Biden, and there were a lot of such voters, uh, did feel, they, they felt happy at uh, Trump's loss more than they did Biden's victory. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I for, I for one, I mean, I think the thing for me that was most important was, I mean, we were talking offline about our, you know, our kids, you know, who are in their formative years, you know, and I just couldn't imagine another four years of them um, having to listen to this man on the official presidential 
platform and further, uh, you know, establishing this lack of statesmanship, lack of decorum, manners, you know, this is sort of this basic, we expect a certain basic manner from, you know, our leaders or politicians, you know, whether they're they're hypocrites or not is a different issue. But just in terms of this, the statesmanship, that idea, you know, and, you know, for my children, for example, like to have, you know, eight years is a long time, you know, and the, the, the effect of this type of behavior on institutions and, and the government, you know, that, that gets entrenched for a very long time. And, you know, a whole generation in the formative years is, you know, is, is changed radically because of that. And you know, we've already seen in four years in terms of the level of discourse, what it's done. Um, so for me, that was like, if there was one thing that I wanted just to happen was because of that, you know, because our children are, you know, imbibing a lot of this, you know, not just his own words, but the atmosphere he's created. And he's probably going to do worse things now, you know, even if he's not president, you know, but at least it's not using the megaphone of, of the White House. But um, anyways, uh, uh, Sita has some, some of your first uh, you know, reactions. You know, when I look at Trump and how he speaks, how he governs, he, I, you know, I'm reminded of Qarun in the Quran, mm-hmm. you know, a man of great arrogance. You know, I did this by myself. I am the greatest. I am the best. This is my wealth, you know. And and there's also, I think, some uh, connection with Fir'aun as well in terms of how he speaks, you know, dividing people, dividing his nation based on their race or their ethnicity, turning people against each other. Um, separating children away from their parents. Uh, And certainly, I think when there's such manifest arrogance for people that have committed uh, their life on studying the science of the nefs and the harms of arrogance, it it really was a relief to see somebody uh, so pompous and arrogant, uh, you know, fail. Uh, I think there was a tremendous sense of relief in that. And then there is cautious optimism about the the new administration. Um, You know, ultimately, I think we're electing who we want to fight who we want to sue, uh, who we want to hold accountable, who we want to challenge. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there isn't a clear answer. Wallahu alam. I mean, you know, I prayed a lot of istikhara. I didn't make my decision as to who I was voting for till the very, uh, you know, last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, and only after consulting with a lot of experts in international affairs, because the, the concern was, and look, Trump causes a lot of damage. And I think for me, it's very easy to understand who I want to vote for, because when, when you run a civil rights organization, you see who makes more work for you. And the person who makes mm-hmm. the most work for you is the one you want to lose. Right. So certainly under Obama, you know, you had the drone strike program. You had the, uh, you know, FBI surveillance of Muslims, the entrapment program, CBP harassment of Muslims that happened under Obama. Uh, Much of it uh, continued under under Trump uh, and some of it didn't. So ultimately, the question became, is Trump such a, you know, uh, problematic character that maybe he's incapable of causing the harm that a more polished individual can cause? So that question certainly is there. Uh, however, uh, on the other hand, I mean, I remember at my office, we had an attorney go to the hospital because of the overstress and the workload that he had under the Trump administration as it related to immigration. I mean, I'm a Syrian American. I have family members that weren't allowed to come in to the U.S. because they were Syrian because of Trump's Muslim ban. The man said Islam hates us. So, you know, the gut feeling is Trump is the worst candidate. But, you know, you almost can't take that for granted. You really need to sit and analyze and say, OK, who will be, you know, who will cause more damage domestically for our freedom to practice our faith and who will cause more damage internationally? I think who who's going to have more Muslim blood on his hands? Um, those are questions that are certainly fair questions to ask. And, 
you know, again, I think conventional wisdom will tell you that Trump is the worst option. And ultimately, you know, I, I supported the Biden campaign and encouraged people to vote for him. But I can't say that I did so with absolute certainty, knowing that this would be better for our ummah. I mean, this was our ijtihad based on a lot of uh, mashura and, and, and dua, really. And in the end, we hope, uh, you know, that this indeed is the best result. Ultimately, it's all in law's hands. And, and the main question is, what are we doing? That is really the end of the day. Whether you have Trump or whether you have Biden, what are we doing to proudly hold on to our faith, to hold those in authority accountable, to fight for justice, to st- and, and to push back against Islamophobia? And, and I think hopefully the Muslim communities learned from the last you know decade uh, and that the community under a Biden administration doesn't become complacent. I'm excited because I know the Biden administration will certainly appoint people in positions of authority that we can better work with. Uh, I mean, even under the Trump administration, there were Muslims who were stuck at the border. We were able to get them into the country because we had contacts who were appointed by Obama that were very friendly towards the community. So I think, you know, and then finally, this is this is sort of the conclusion. I approached it with sort of the approach of the Prophet's uncle, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, when Abraha was going to destroy the Kaaba, the Prophet's uncle, he didn't ask uh, for the protection of the Kaaba. He he said, Allah will take care of that. I'm just going to worry about my my animals, my camels, my sheep, uh, you know, the flock that he was responsible for. And, And sort of that's the approach I've taken. You know, ultimately, my concern is domestic American Muslim civil rights. And and I want to advocate for whoever I think will be easier to engage with on those issues. As for the broader issues, I'm going to leave that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, Hassan, I, 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 I was hoping you were going to say like, oh, Council of Islamic Amer- American Islamic Relations is no longer needed now, right? I wish, right? <laughs> I, wish. I can make real money as a I mean, private lawyer. <laughs> you hear some people, they, they actually think like, oh, everything's going to be like all fine, right? You know, they don't remember what it was like before Trump. Um, you know, this brings us in a very interesting issue, which I think um, was, was, was came out, you know, after the election was that um, certainly compared to 2016, more Muslims voted for Trump. You know, I was wondering some of your thoughts about maybe the reasons about that and and why that happened, because I think, you know, on, on the face of it, it's, it seems a bit surprising why that might have happened. You know, I think it's up to about 20 percent of Muslims voted for Trump. And that's a significant amount. I mean, it could have swung the election in his favor, uh, you know, if, if it continued in that direction. And I think a lot of Muslims were voting for Trump. And when I say a lot, 20% is a lot, considering the guy said Islam hates us, right? And he wants a Muslim ban. Uh, But, you know, many voted for him because they felt that he was uh, uh, potentially less harmful to Muslims internationally. Uh, they felt Biden it, it may be more problematic as it relates to certain foreign uh, foreign policy issues. Um, so, you know, I, we had some friends that were very pro-Trump, uh, whether it was because of taxes domestically or because they felt that Trump would be less harmful to Muslims internationally because he's so isolationist in, in their understanding. Um, so that's why people were zealous. And this is the point that really concerns me the most is the way we treated each other. I saw such toxic rhetoric within the Muslim community. I mean, to be very frank, uh, during this election year, for the first time, I seriously considered leaving community work for a year or two and just doing something else for a little time because of the way we treat each other, of the way we disagree with each other. Uh, You know, I can fight the FBI and U.S. Customs and Border Protection all day and all night. It's easy. I can do it in my sleep. But what I don't have the heart for is to see Muslims fighting each other and assuming the worst of each other and tearing each other down as hypocrites and sellouts and other things based on political positions where there's room for ijtihad. And I certainly, while I definitely think Trump was the worst option, I can understand why some people sincerely felt he may be less harmful and maybe the better option. You know, we, sh- we, we have to resist the urge to write each other off when we disagree with each other politically. 
Yeah, that's actually very interesting that you say that because it's been quite, uh, you know, the trip in the past uh, few months, especially, you know, and, and it, it seems kind of a, between the yin and yang, it seems that the culture that was created, especially in the past four years, and we're not going to just only blame the four years under Trump in terms of the ramifications of the Muslim community and how we treat each other. Of course, this has been percolating for a while. And we can talk about this in a macro level in terms of the national scene as well, in terms of how uh, we escalated, you know, maybe from the uh, first day of Obama's era, you know, maybe with the Tea Party. And, and as we go along politically on the mac- on macro level and we go locally here within amongst ourselves, the, the toxic kind of exchange with, with Twitter and uh, Facebook, et cetera, all of that is can be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, I guess, uh, drawn back to the fact that his characteristics or his presidency was overpowering this or fueling this uh, kind of discourse. And, uh, you know, even though that uh, some of us will, will say, yes, well, internationally, he's less harmful, you know, we are looking at ourselves and we are not better people, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's this... Uh, uh, Arabic, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I think it was by uh, Sayyidina Omar, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, uh, just, uh, it is it is just like the the over general state of who you are, you will be appointed, uh, you know, a, a person from that state to, to rule you. Or maybe a better translation would be like, uh, you know, uh, just as you are, just like your nufus, it will be uh, somebody who will be, uh, you know, appointed as a president. And or as a ruler king. So therefore, we, we were just talking just before we hit record that uh, you know uh, Trump was you know the the ultimate manifestation of the nafs. You know, uh, so much so in a in a in a very sarcastic and uh, and, and comical way. Uh, but um, you know, when it comes to the political climate, I guess uh, amongst ourselves as a community, as we reflect more. Uh, Sheikh Salman, what do you think of uh, of how we can begin to understand ourselves? If if we are trying to, uh, you know, like uh, Sidi Hassan mentioned, if we are trying to get to disconnect from each other, maybe or or to breathe a little bit, uh, it's it's harder for us to deal with each other ra- rather than dealing with the FBI. That's how much you know. That's how much crazier uh, it got. Where do we begin? You know, I'm not here saying like, oh, give us the solution, one, two, three. But I guess it's, it's a little bit over uh, to uh, uh, more of an invitation to reflect inwardly here. Yeah, I mean, the the, the trends that we see, I mean, the, the first thing that we need to, to keep in mind is that um, oftentimes we live in sort of echo chambers uh, and we don't understand that, you know, there are Muslims who are not particularly guided by religious concerns when they vote for for a candidate. Uh, there are Muslims of you know different ethnic backgrounds who have uh, different interests. There are Muslims who are rich who are you know maybe more interested in uh, corporate tax rates than you know than, than other people. And so the Muslim community is not a is not a monolith. And in many ways, the same divisions, the same polarization that we find within our own community uh, reflects what we find within the broader culture as well. You know, polarization in America has been uh, something that's been spoken about. Um, you know, for the last, uh, you know, 10, last decade or so. Uh, and we see this, this, this split happening between the right and the left and uh, this tribalism 
that's that's led to actually this idea of what some people have called the uh, the anxiety of affiliation, right? Uh, and the anxiety of affiliation is that the you know the parties are so rigid and the political you know lines are so clearly drawn out that you don't even want to give yourself away or even give the hint that you belong to quote unquote the other side. Uh, this is true for you know, people on the right, this is true for people on, on the left. And, you know, they do all these experiments, you know, they go around, they, they ask people, oh, what do you think of the Affordable Care Act? And they'll be like, oh, it's great. And they'll, they'll ask the same person, well, what about Obamacare? And they'll be like, oh, Obamacare is horrible, you know? And that's the anxiety of affiliation. And I think a lot of that has sort of crept into the Muslim community as well, where, you know, we don't want, you know, people who are conservative really don't want anything to do with, you know, the left, they don't want to even be associated or connected to the left, and people on the left don't want anything to do with, you know. I'm not, you know, if if, talk, if speaking against abortion, LGBT, puts me, you know, gives across this, this impression that I'm aligning myself with this, the GOP, with the right, with this conservative movement. Then I'd rather stay silent about that uh, uh, rather than put it on the table and 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 let people know my my my, my real beliefs. And so I actually, I don't think that this is something that, uh, you know, we are subject to broader cultural currents or broader social currents. And I don't think it's something that uh, we'll easily um, uh, get out of. Uh, based on the, the numbers that I've seen, uh, you know, the exit polls had the Muslim vote for Trump at 35%. Uh, there were other polls that came out later that were far more, you know, rigorous uh, that put it at about 30, 31%. Uh, which is a huge spike um, from from what we saw in 2016, uh, and so there's a, there's a real division in in in, in the Muslim uh, community. One place where I do see uh, some some hope, uh, especially as a religious Muslim, is that you don't you don't actually find a lot of Muslims who are voting for, uh, for example, the left because they are pro LGBT or because they are pro abortion or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, you don't find a lot of people voting for Trump because he's anti-immigration or because, uh, you know, he's anti-healthcare. And so I think that we all recognize, you know, we, we might choose specific issues to focus on and, 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 and that you know, uh, allows us to align ourselves with a particular party. But I think there are a lot of core issues uh, where, you know, if we sat down and we, and we, and we, and we discussed these issues, that uh, as as most studies of polarization, even in America, have shown, uh, you know, people tend to be polarized because of the political parties, uh, when their individual beliefs, in fact, when you sit down and talk to them, might actually be closer than than we think. And I think that's true for the Muslim community as well. Yes, sir. I mean, certainly, I think I think you know the what we've seen. Um, is you know the, as you mentioned the increased polarization of of Muslims uh, going more towards the left or going more to the right. I mean one 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 uh, someone was once talking to me like around election time and uh, one of the major reasons that they wanted Trump not to win was because they felt that the uh, Muslims would go even further left, you know, to try to because out of response, right? Um, but but you know I think it's interesting because as you said mentioned the echo chambers, uh, you know a lot of the attack toward against Muslims on the so called left. Um, that they are parroting, um, you know, the leftist, um, uh, you know, ideologies and platforms of, you know, the far left Democratic Party. But the same has happened to a lot of the Muslims on the so-called right, 
uh, even though um, they are also internalizing and parroting a lot of the same platform uh, and ideology of of those on the on the right as well. And we're just seeing, you know, just as we are in the broader society in America, the further, you know, uh, polarization. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting was, you know, a lot of this postmortem analysis of the uh, the election in the broader American society was I uh, had, had seen some you know discussion about um, sort of the republicanization of Christianity, um, which I think is sort of leads us to something that we can discuss here uh, as it as it as it involves Muslims and the, the idea basically that you know um, rather than religion dictating politics, politics is. Uh, is dictating um, the the way Christianity is being ex- has to be expressed in a certain locale, you know. So the platform of the Republican Party, um, you know, that will dictate the faith that you can express in your church, the uh, what you can say in the pulpit. Um, and it's not just about like abortion or some you know something like that. It could be about you know gun control or it could be about immigration. Uh, or this this influence of the politics on the religious communities, um, and it would be interesting to hear some of your thoughts about that in terms of the republicization or the democratization of what's going on in the Muslim community and how we are not uh, we are also not immune to this um, phenomenon that we're seeing. Yeah, just uh, if if I could just mention something quickly regarding that, and then Sidi Hassan probably um, knows more about the general landscape. Um, this particular phenomenon, I think, is more pronounced amongst, and again, this is the idea of, you know, when I mentioned Muslims are not a monolith, uh, the same is true for Christianity as a whole in America. Right, so, of course. So white, white evangelicals, you know, David French came out with an article recently uh, um, where he was like, there are a lot of people who think white evangelicals are voting for Trump primarily based on his, his policies regarding abortion and, and marriage or religious freedom. Uh, but studies actually show that white evangelicals are basically Republican on all issues, you know, gun control, immigration, right. whatever it might be, you know, just, just down the line. And so their self-identification uh, matches onto their political affiliation uh, is, is what David French was saying. That's actually not true for non-white evangelicals, for uh, black evangelicals, uh, for Catholics, for various other uh, faith groups who've manage to, I guess, in a way, take the Muslim line, uh, which is, we'll vote for one party, we'll lean towards one party, but, you know, we understand that um, we might have to compromise certain things. There are certain aspects that we don't like or, 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 we, or, we, uh, or, we, or we dislike. But the idea still that your party affiliation is what dictates your policy positions rather than your faith is a, a very serious uh, concern. And I think, you know, even in the American Muslim scene, you know, I've seen that happen. You know, I've seen miraculously people who were for Trump, you know, Muslims who were for Trump because of abortion and LGBT and religious freedom, you know, all of a sudden, two years later, they were also, you know, justifying his, his presidency because of policies on taxation and uh, certain policies on immigration, you know, using arguments like, well, you know, the state has the right to prevent people from entering its borders uh, and even providing religious justifications for this. So I think that we're going to see that phenomenon uh, happen, at least among certain segments of the Muslim population. Uh, but I think overall, uh, based on our experiences, 
we've become so jaded, you know, between the two parties. And like Sidi Hassan said, you know, for us, it's almost a question of who do we, who, who's the person we want in the office to oppose uh, rather than, than uh, to, to support. So I think that even though this is a risk, um, uh, hopefully uh, Muslims will be able to, you know, continue, uh, you know, recognizing this, I, I guess, being more, more, more center when it comes to the issues of judging uh, the, the various parties. I'm about to jump on the uh, uh, what's going to happen in the next uh, six months uh, when the new scene becomes democratic. But before I do that, you know, uh, the, the question uh, goes to you, Sih Hassan, about the uh, maybe the, the same question. Uh, if, if this kind of uh, makes sense uh, that uh, to you that uh, on the ground in the actual issues that and we can use care, for example, as one of the, mashallah, very you know large fronts of, of, of defending uh, civil rights and uh, you know rights for for everybody, including Muslims, of course. Um, you know how how is that true in your experience? So the issue comes down to you know what are our priorities uh, in terms of our political engagement? What are our goals? You know, and we have to identify uh, these goals and priorities, and then find out which candidates and which elected officials uh, are going to be the easiest to achieve those goals. Um, one of the biggest, I think, issues is: are we more focused on domestic uh, uh, freedom and liberty or international issues? And that's, you know, one candidate may be better on international issues and one candidate may be better domestically. So who do you choose uh, in those regards? And I, I don't think the answer is always clear. I've taken the approach of going, uh, honestly, I think human blood is the most sacred thing. So if there's one candidate that clearly will take less human life internationally, uh, then then I can understand the, the urge to support him. Um However, I'm a big believer in investing in, in domestic, domestically, because the American Muslim community, if we don't have the freedom to practice our faith and express our faith and being involved politically, um, eventually that will catch up with us uh, on international issues as well. So uh, the stronger the Muslim community is domestically, then I think the better impact we can have internationally as well. On that note, then the question becomes is becomes who's better for Muslims domestically? You know, and, and uh, the, the arguments we seem to be hearing is that the liberals uh, uh they, maybe they may be more friendly towards the Muslim community's uh, freedom and liberty, but they support, you know, uh, certain uh, things that are counter to Islamic morality and ethics, etc. Uh, and then there's a lot of condemnation on us then by, by standing with them that we're normalizing, you know, certain things that are not in alignment with our faith. On the other hand, the conservatives seem to be much more aligned superficially, perhaps hypocritically, that can be discussed, but at least they seem to be more aligned on some of the issues of morality and ethics. And yet, unfortunately, they're the ones who are often standing behind some of the most restrictive measures in terms of us practicing our faith in the U.S., the anti-Muslim legislation, anti-Sharia legislation. So uh, the question does become, with which party do we stand? Which way do we lean? Um, the approach I've taken quite simply is that uh, in the marketplace of ideas, the best ideas would win. And I think, you know, uh, those who may be okay with everything, including things that we're not in alignment with, are perhaps better for us than those that are uh, so restrictive that they would even restrict our freedom to practice our faith. Uh, and I don't think faith is to be learned through the political process. 
you know, so if you're looking for your political leaders and the candidates to nor- to set the standard of what's normal, what's acceptable in terms of faith and spirituality, you're, you're doing it wrong to begin with. Um, but ultimately, I think even if there are uh, candidates, parties that, that support things that, that are against uh, some basic moral principles and teachings of our faith, that's fine. As long as we have the freedom to teach in a counter of that, um, I think, uh, the, the, alhamdulillah, the Muslim community can grow strong and, and have an opportunity to teach and preserve its faith, as opposed to, uh, you know, some of the more conservative uh, individuals and parties that unfortunately want to uh, not just limit, uh, you know, things that we disagree with, but they want to limit our own existence. Uh, so, uh, you know, because on this note, and, and uh, at least according to some of the other areas that I'm, uh, that I'm, uh, you know, interested in personally, that I invested part of my career in as well, uh, you know, you are mentioning that uh, as long as we have the freedom to practice and to be able to express ourselves in, term, in terms of spirituality, identity, etc., then we are uh, in the market of ideas invested more, at least at, at the moment, to be, uh, you know, leaning not left as in we are left, but leaning towards a pathway that allows us to be free. But the counter argument, though, however, is the fact that in many states locally, uh, the liberal footprint is actually deepening. And, um, you know, there is a it's not really a, a leaning there, uh, you know, after all, it's becoming a mandate, you know, in the, uh, in the area of local social life, uh, in the board of educations everywhere throughout America, you know, there's a lot of deepening or uh, mandating of the things that are deeply against the moral code of Muslim faith, Christian and Jude, uh, Judaic as well. But uh, there are things that are becoming really difficult in terms of the liberal sphere in America, and I'm talking only, America, of course, it's in the West throughout, but it's becoming difficult for us as parents, for instance, to 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 teach, uh, you know, our children uh, what's right and wrong, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to liberal mandates on what's acceptable and what's really the norm and what's really, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that has to be taken for granted, you know, in, in our social fabric, you know, uh, more and more our Islamic schools uh, throughout America are being uh, challenged, you know, in the fabric of their morality and what they can teach and what they can't, who they can accept. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, you know, who they can accept and who they can't. Uh, and, and there's more of the uh, hand, the forceful liberal hand or the left hand in, in the name of freedom to, to call everybody out uh, who is not conforming to their idea of freedom. Uh, so, so that's really where uh, a lot of folks who, uh, and at least uh, some of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, folks who I, I, I listen to, uh, who I see khair and wisdom uh, coming out of, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, teachings, they also said that there are Muslims in America who did vote for Trump based on this kind of notion. You did mention to us, you know, have nafs, you know, like the idea of protecting blood, alhamdulillah. Relatively speaking, you know, uh, and and some folks would argue against that, you know, that uh, Trump did not spill a lot of blood, you know, internationally in terms of Muslim land or otherwise. But, uh, you know, uh, for us, there is no hevel of the deen under under the left. So which one, which maqasa do you do you uh, uh, do you follow? And if we start talking about the idea of maqasid before 
anybody who's listening here and thinks that we are in la la land now speaking <laughs> about all these things you know in america as the one percent to our uh, and we are taking things for granted uh in some issues and we are of course accounted in front in front of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but which one takes precedent you know uh, if you if you are in biden america in the next six months to you know four years whatever you know we are now challenged with the task of Havladin, of protecting the basics of our spirituality in our local Muslim America, not somewhere outside. And that's where I wanted to challenge you kindly, of course. <laughs> no, I think you uh, hit the nail. You, say. you hit the nail. Sorry, but real quick, you hit the nail on the head, honestly. I think your analysis is on point. And I think that is the, that is the danger right now. The conservatives have been so much in their anti-Sharia position, anti-Muslim position, uh, politically, I mean, literally, they're they're pushing legislation that practicing Islam was treason, punishable by twenty years in jail, and alhamdulillah that failed, and then many watered down versions, so that the liberals naturally became our friends. In fact, they had to befriend us so that they could win us over. But as you mentioned, maybe they like Muslims and not Islam necessarily. And I think the worst mm. case scenario of that is what you have happening in France, where the biggest Islamophobes are the liberals there, you know, and and in other parts of Europe as well, because uh, you know, and then you have that here in the, in the U.S. I'm not even remembering the name right now, like Bill Maher and others that are that are so liberal, but they're they are hateful towards the faith. Um, and in that regard, I think, honestly, the solution is really a split, a split political control, you know, so where you have one political party controlling the Senate, maybe another, the White House. And and through that, maybe we can get the best of both worlds, because I think that is the biggest concern in, in that if um, you know, certain laws uh, are passed or court rulings come forward that limit our ability to set the moral standard we want for our Islamic schools, for our masajid, for our Muslim institutions. That could be extremely destructive. But I think the ability for them to do that uh, when, for example, uh, you know, maybe the Republicans maintain control of the Senate or maybe of the Supreme Court will make it much better. I, do, I don't think either party having absolute control of government is in our community's best interest. I think therein lies the benefit of having a split government. Yeah, just just to sorry, just to uh, just pick up on that point. One of the reasons I was more comfortable, and I'll just expose myself over here, why I was more comfortable voting for Biden was because one, I knew conservatives had the Supreme Court. I knew there had been court cases already about religious freedom. You know, uh, in two thousand twenty, uh, that expanded the ministerial uh, um, exemption that that expanded religious exemptions. Um, and that would act as a check on Biden, but more so, uh, you know, when, when Sidi Hassan was talking about, well, what is our vision and what is our strategy? I think this is, this is one of the most important questions that is something quite obvious, but I don't think we as Muslims have actually thought through it properly. What is our, what is our vision? What is the criteria by which we assess what fulfills that vision, and then what is our strategy for achieving that particular vision? So when I was trying to choose a candidate, just as you know, just referring to myself uh, personally, when I was going and seeing, okay, who's better, Trump or Biden? You know, I basically I basically looked at four things to make my own decision. One, I looked at you know, sort of the, quote unquote the personal virtues of of of, of each candidate. Uh, not saying they're angels or anything. But, you know, it made a difference to me that, you know, on the morning of election day, Biden went to church and Trump went to Fox News. Like that made some that that, that showed me something 
uh, about the character of each of each individual. Uh, the second thing was what is the broader sort of electoral political makeup? Uh, is there a chance the Senate can still stay Republican? The Supreme Court acting as a check on Biden, uh, even Biden centrism, I think, actually controls the impetus of court packing. So that wasn't actually something that I thought was going to happen if Biden came to power. I don't think he was going to pack the court because that would shatter a political norm that would come back to haunt the Democratic Party in the future. And I don't think Biden would risk that as a sort of centrist candidate. And then I went down the policy issues as well, whether it's immigration, healthcare, even international policies, uh, and you know, saw where 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 each candidate uh, where each candidate um, landed on these particular. Uh, issue. So I think the, the this aspect of checks is very is 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 very important, but at the same time, uh, you know, just sort of echoing um, the point made made earlier about um, about about the left and and issues of religious freedom and expressing expressing our Islam in this particular society. I think one of the things that's important for Muslims to recognize is that we need to understand. The cultural makeup of America, and we need to understand the way the law helps to shape that particular uh, these particular cultural forces. And so, culture is basically this this necessary mechanism by which we as human beings construct meaning out of reality. Right, that is what culture is. The culture has a capacity, you know, as as academic in academic jargon, they'll say it has a capacity for creating categories. Of uh, of experience, it is the glue that binds basically the various domains of our of our human uh, of our human life, and you know, Sidi Sidi Hassan is is a lawyer. He's been to law school, so I'm sure I'm sure he's read studies about you know law as culture, the role of law in culture, and that law is so deeply embedded in the particularities of our culture that we can't really we can't really uh, sep- separate them. There's a dialectical relationship between law. And between between culture, where law shapes our individual and group identity, it shapes our social practices, it shapes the meanings of our cultural symbols. Uh, it is a it is this type of what they call an active discourse, right? That produces particular effects that impacts culture, and in turn, culture also uh, uh, impacts it. And so, even though Biden won't be able to pass, uh, you know, the Equality Act, you know, the way he may have wanted to. Right, uh, uh, without it being struck down by the Supreme Court or you know reinterpreted by the Supreme Court in some way, uh, he's still able to you know I'm going to implement Title IX for you know trans bathroom rights. I'm going to make LGBT uh, issue a, a international issue again and strip aid from countries that that uh, you know have laws against LGBT. I'm going to use all these executive orders to basically push this particular social slash cultural agenda that I have. And that is going to have some trickle-down effect on our our broader uh, culture. On the other side, the right, I don't think the right can actually stop that cultural momentum simply through the law, right? The right is not talking about, let's stop, gay, let's stop LGBT activity. They're saying, oh, maybe we should have civil unions, you know, or maybe we should, you just, let's, let's not call it marriage. But, you know, culture is far broader than law. And as a Muslim community, we need to understand that it depends on our institutions. It depends on our masajid. It depends on uh, you know how media. It depends on so such an array of factors that to simply view um, you know put our hope in these political elites to 
stem the tide of some of these cultural, uh, 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 you know, these cultural waves that we're that we're confronting. I think it's it's sort of it's sort of misplaced, and we're abdicating our duty to our community, uh, you know, to, to instill faith in our community and really take sort of communal personal responsibility uh, for, for nurturing for nurturing the ummah in in, in America. So that's really a, a very interesting uh, point because here's the question now to us as a community uh, in reality and maybe like for both of you gentlemen if you can let me know and Salim please chime in are we ready as a Muslim community to in terms of our institutions in terms of our masajid are we ready to be uh, a little bit more mature in terms of the reactions that we have are we able to influence uh, positively at least at the local level do we have uh, you mentioned Sid Hassan about the strategy and the vision do we have that you know some people you know are leaning uh, they actually voted uh, you know Biden because uh, you know uh, he was friendlier and he quoted uh, the prophet Muhammad والسلام, in one of his videos and he you know, some people are that shallow you know and I'm not saying this to you know put down our community may Allah bless them all everybody has his own but but we are being accused of being so superficial, either in this particular discussion where we are right now, and please forgive me, I'm not trying to be uh, lacking decorum, or in terms of the uh, you know things that are happening in our everyday life as layman Muslims. You know, we are being accused of not having uh, a vision, uh, of not having a strategy to act locally and move from the local to the top, so to speak, uh, and we are also. Um, not hearing a lot uh, from our speakers and from our, uh, you know, and this is not to kind of to become a masochist, so to speak. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, flag ourselves. You know, I'm just trying to say, is this really true, you know, of what you were saying? And if there is a political vision and goals, uh, can you too, or, or uh, all of us, can we point to some of these bright examples that we can follow uh, somewhere in one of the states or a few of the states? Uh, do you guys see it, let's say, Hassan, on, on the front of care, for instance? Do you, uh, Sidi Salman, do you see it uh, on some of the institutions that do teach uh, Islam with a more active kind of outlook? And this is what I wanted to kind of bring bring the idea of, okay, so what is the vision? What is what is the goal? Yeah, before, before going, I, I, I want to continue this, but I just want to go back to one thing uh, um, that Hassan mentioned earlier about, you know, the, sort of the domestic versus the foreign. And I wanted to ask, like, Sheikh Salman, in terms of your understanding of, uh, the tradition is there any um, is there any hierarchy or uh, or guide in terms of prioritizing one over the other because I think we always come back to this and we even talked about like you know people voting for Trump because of this presumed uh, you know less droning which actually is not necessarily true but um, uh, is there any is there any um, in your understanding anything about what what we should prioritize because if we're going to develop a vision right whatever it may be these are always going to conflict. So is, do you have any um, thing to comment on that? Yeah, I can't actually answer that question to anyone's satisfaction, primarily because right now, I think the tension that we're caught between is a politics of the ummah versus a politics of the nation. You know, uh, this is actually a distinction that, uh, you know, some Indian scholars, you know, Sheikh Hussein Ahmed Madani uh, had, had, had sort of espoused this idea of we have an um, we have an ummah, which is you know this this broader polity of Muslims, and then we have particular nations to which we belong. And for him, it was the Indian nation. And so over here, you know, if we go by that model, we are, you know, America is our this is the country that that that, that we live in, 
And so we have a vested interest in seeing a, a healthy polity and seeing the preservation of Muslims over here. But at the same time, you know, the concept of ummah is so central to Muslims uh, that you're always going to have a tension between what, what takes uh, what takes uh, priority in this uh, in this in this regard? Uh, one thing that I would say, though, regarding Trump's "quote unquote" being, I guess, more pacifist or more anti-war uh, than than his his, his predecessors, um, when it comes to the erosion of Islam, or you know negative consequences to Muslims on the international sphere, we cannot simply judge it on the basis of bombs, right? We have had so much outrage in the Muslim uh, community in America over the UAE, over Saudi Arabia, over all these countries, which basically, you know, are a lot of things that they're doing right now is because Trump has sort of given them a blank check to do whatever they want without any consequences. Uh, Same with Egypt. Um, same with, you know, the the Israeli-Palestinian situation right now. Trump has basically completely cut all funding for the Palestinians. Uh, at least we had, and 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 these things actually have an impact on the international arena. When Trump says illegal settlements, no big deal. Then all those Arab tyrants, you know, who've been you know licking their their lips to enter into agreements with Israel and trade with them and normalize relations relationships with them are going to jump at the chance and be like, this is our chance. Let's do it right now. And so there's there's, there's more to the politics of the Ummah than simply things like bombing. And and even even a very, and this is a very controversial take that I'm going to mention, and I hope I don't get canceled for it, but even something like uh, Trump's withdrawal from Afghanistan. I actually have friends in Afghanistan, and I have actually one teacher in Afghanistan um, who I read some Hadith books with, um, and he actually mentioned that we all want America to be out of the region, right? But right now, if they leave, there is a very, very high risk of things just collapsing completely. You know, ethnic tensions, uh, you know, various groups saying, well, the government does not have US backing anymore. We can take them out. We have a chance over here to take over and basically go back to that civil war of Afghanistan that, that, that existed in like the late, late 80s. And so these are very tough discussions that even on the international arena that Muslims have to have, even on something like, well, maybe it's for the short term, the U.S. should keep 5,000 troops just until the peace process goes, goes away and the Taliban and the Afghan government you know, sign the dotted line and there's some sense of stability. It's a tough decision for us to make because we are so anti-militarization and so anti-U.S. presence in these regions. But you know, if you think about if the U.S. didn't have bases in Qatar, what would have happened to Qatar? during this UAE Saudi spat, right? Uh, uh, you know, which which is a big which is a big issue even amongst the Muslim community. So I think these are these are very, very tough, tough decisions and discussions that we have. But I do think that we need to sort of broaden how we assess uh, some of these uh, some of these but issues, we- some of the policies. Do we even have uh, such power to, to influence? You know, like it, it's always been like kind of the philosophical, you know, politics of the yeah. No, there's no power. Politics. I mean, we don't we don't, we don't yeah. have any power. But so. I, I, I'm basically speaking about people sort of exercising their own individual moral judgment when they're voting. Right. I mean, that's yeah. really what so, we're talking about. Uh, and to get to the point though, uh, that Jose was making, uh, 
the Muslim community, I think, has a lot of potential. You know, there, there's a lot of potential for us to influence things both domestically and abroad. And that's exactly why the Islamophobia industry has spent hundreds of millions of dollars to demonize Islam, to make Muslims afraid of their own faith, afraid of their own identity, to go down a way of secularism and, and just uh, really disconnecting with our faith and our values and our tradition. I mean, literally, the Islamophobia industry is investing hundreds of millions of dollars in that. Billionaires like Sheldon Adelson is pumping in a lot of money promoting fear and hate of the Muslim community. And, and it's not just to get non-Muslims targeting the Muslim community, but I really think it's to uh, inspire, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, Muslim youth to turn away from their faith and their identity. Uh, because when we turn away from that, we lose our own strength. Um, so there's certainly a potential for power. And I think the numbers are very clear. I mean, you know, in a lot of states, I, you know, Florida is a, a great example the the elections are often won by 20 30 40,000 votes. I don't actually recall by how much Trump won Florida if anybody knows let me know. Uh yeah, things 200, have been 200,000 you know, 200,000. I mean the Muslim community could have swung the election the other way. They say there's about 400,000 registered Muslim voters. So if we all voted and we voted in unison we could have swung the election the other way and the the, the distribution of the Muslim community across the United States uh we have very high concentrations in swing states. So we could potentially swing the election one way or another. I'm talking about the federal level. And in the local level, there's a lot we can do. And I think the local elections, it's something we haven't spoken a lot about. Uh, we haven't spoken a lot about during this this podcast, but the local elections perhaps may be more important. You know, that's yeah, going right. to determine your school board, your county commission, whether you, you can open up an Islamic school, whether you can open up a masjid and many other things um, that, that affect our life day to day. So I think the Muslim community is, is concentrated enough to have an impact if it were to actualize that impact and, and, and try to reach its potential. Um, and But it's in, it's in its infancy stages. I mean, I run Care of Florida. It's the largest American Muslim civil rights organization, nonpartisan, of course, but from Florida to D.C. to California. You know, we're literally the biggest one from, you know, as south as Florida to as north as D.C., uh, and as west as California, then you get to Care LA. That's probably a big one. You get to uh, Washington DC, Care National. That's a big one. But otherwise, we're pretty much the biggest in that whole region. And when I joined, uh, there was only a couple staff members. Now, Alhamdulillah, we've grown over the years to have twenty-five. And I was a kid right out of law school that was appointed to run <laughs> what would become one of the biggest Muslim civil rights organizations, which shows how much we're in our infant stages. You know, this organization was wasn't even really existing about a decade ago. Um, so we're very much in our infant stages. Uh, we're still debating uh, un- uh, whether it's halal or haram to vote in too many communities, unfortunately. Um, still? We ha- really? It's still happening. It boggles <laughs> my mind. It boggles my mind. Or it, it, some of us have matured beyond the whether it's halal and haram. And we've just gotten to, is there a point to vote? That's really, yeah. I think I was in a, a debate with an MSA group of students the other day, uh, just before the election. And the debate, they, they didn't have the position that it was haram to vote. They just had the position that it was useless to vote. Um, and, and that was a deep discussion that we had. But ultimately, um, are we reaching our potential? Uh, you know, I think we're starting. We're starting to see changes. We're starting to see organizations. We're starting to change our standards where before we may be happy with a photo op or, or a candidate saying, inshallah, and the community is now learning to grow beyond that. But I, we still have a long way to go. And ultimately, I think the question is, as a community, you know, what are our priorities? As you mentioned, you know, what are we what what is it that that drives what we do and how we vote and why we vote and whether we're engaged, you know, and, and I think ultimately the key to our success politically is, is that spiritual connection is, is are we united? Do, are we driven by seeking the akhirah, seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and are all of our other decisions reflective of that? 
And uh, unfortunately, far too often it may not be. And far too often we're busy fighting each other. And far too often we've neglected uh, the the priorities the Messenger of Allah has taught us and the adab the Messenger of Allah has taught us. And I think those are the two things that are missing for us to reach our full potential, be it political or otherwise. Do we have the priorities of the Messenger and the adab of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? So... Uh, I don't. I don't want to come off as uh, being intentionally cynical or um, a pessimistic, but I mean, I think you know we always talk about the unity of 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 the ummah and this this dream we have that we're all going to be on the same page when it's never really happened, right? Historically, and I don't. I, I'm sure you know we're, we're uh, certainly Muslims in America are going to have different strands of um, ideas. Um. So. In terms of let's accept the, the the fact that you know there's going to be left leaning Muslims, uh, right leaning Muslims, and I want to sort of go into each camp and just you know just as an exercise. I mean, uh, let's first start with um, the the more right leaning, if if I can use that term, like Muslims. So, you know, in terms of the current the the current right wing landscape is very you know fraught with a lot of. As Qaidar told me when you mentioned, it's sort of like alternate reality, alternate reality in some some ways, and and you know a lot of difficulty for Muslims to be in that space. You know, where where is a conservative leaning Muslim? What is the future for them in this current um, you know conservative space? Because honestly, when I think of of um, you know the Republican Party, you know, based on uh, if they were able to disassociate themselves from the cult of personality of Trump. Right, based on the gains that he gave them from even just four years, right, in terms of the inroads they made in certain you know voting blocks, right, um, if they were somehow able to divorce themselves from that, if they were able to somehow disavow, for a lot of them disavow the uh, hatred of, uh, I'm not saying Republicans hate, but I'm saying a lot of them clearly uh, you know exemplify a lot of uh, white supremacy and anti-immigrant and a lot of anti-minority um, uh, uh, positions. If they were able to somehow you know, leave that aside or start to divorce themselves from that, they can actually make a lot of inroads into a lot of the people who voted for, for Biden, you know, Muslims included. So uh, I, I just want to hear, first, let's first speak about the, the, the conservative leading Muslims. Where is the future for them in, you know, in the near future? How can they exist in this, um, this landscape? Because it's, it's going to get even, even more polarized as they try to subvert this Biden presidency, which we assume is going to happen. I have, I think because of my, my particular focus on national politics and not being local to the scene, um, I have been desperately looking for a Christian leader, politician, who we could, um, who, who a conservative Muslim could enter into a sort of meaningful alliance with. Um, and, you know, this fig, this, this, this point that I mentioned, the David French article uh, about white evangelicals, which you know constitute a massive base for the GOP, uh, that uh, you know that they are so aligned with the Republican Party on virtually every single issue, from immigration to healthcare to you know uh, uh, religious freedom, whatever it might be. Just down the line, they are um, uh, you know Republican through and through is poses a problem for a conservative Muslim because there are just some things that are part of Trump's policies that we cannot, based on our faith teachings, that we cannot tolerate, right? That we cannot justify, that we cannot turn a uh, uh, blind eye to. And a lot of what's happening in the conservative right uh, 
is a type of it's 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 a type of Christian nationalism that engages in in effectively its own type of identity politics, right? Uh, you know, we talk about you know Trump when he came in, a lot of people had these expectations, maybe you know. Uh, misplaced expectation that this is going to the end end of the neoliberal order you know this is a guy he's going to be a protectionist he's going to be against um these free trade agreements he's going to be all these he's he's going to be uh you know uh, all these uh all these things and one commentator that i read i remember reading an article uh who said that uh trump's economic policy was basically the 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 wallowing of an economic idiot but the maneuvering of a political genius Right, because what Trump was effectively doing with some of his economic policies was this was this was all for symbolic purposes. You know, why don't you have jobs, immigrants? You know, these immigrants are going to come in, take your welfare money. You know, this is why social security is a problem. Look how messed up Medicare is. You know, look at those rapists coming in from the border. It was basically he's trying to exasperate these cultural anxieties that a lot of these conservative folk have in in America. And those cultural anxieties extend to us Muslims, you know, because we are, quote unquote, the foreigner. And so there's deep mistrust uh, amongst the these, you know, conservative voters of Islam and of Muslims in, in, in general. And Muslims, not only because, you know, of the terrorism issue, uh, but also because of the larger rhetoric that's been fashioned around immigrants. You know, as people who are going to leech off the system, they don't work hard. You know, they're going to steal our jobs. They come here for, you know, welfare stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, my experience with the conservative right, even even people who are very sensible individuals, you know, who've actually stood up for Muslims, is that when push comes to shove, they are not willing to sacrifice their social capital with yeah. their base to side with a Muslim. And so one name that I'll throw out, and I, I've criticized this person publicly, so I'm not going to be shy, is, uh, you know, our good friend Robert George, right? right? Very yeah. influential intellect, Catholic intellect, speaks out about the commonalities between uh, Muslims and Catholics on religious freedom, on abortion, on all these, you know, culture war issues. But guess what? If, in, if you're going to endorse Ted Cruz in 2016, after he brings, you know, Robert Gaffney, you know, Islamophobe extraordinaire, on his uh, national security, you know, uh, as a national security advisor, and you're going to call for spying on mosques, then you know what? There's a there's going to be a trust trust deficit between me, the conservative Muslim, and you, the conservative Christian, and I'm going to have some suspicion about the sincerity of whatever alliance you want to enter into with me. And I think this is the experience that a lot of uh, yeah. or Muslims have when it comes to dealing with. Uh, more more conservative voters, especially uh, uh, conservative uh, uh, Christian Christian voters. Hassan? I think in terms of the conservative Muslims, uh, look, uh, we, it's difficult. You know, I consider myself conservative, right? And yet uh, I may get attacked as being too liberal. Uh, the The situation is that regardless of who's in power, I, we really need to be united in our fight, all of us, uh, you know, against some very basic things. I mean, the kinds of things I deal with from in terms of my work is 
people being entrapped by the FBI, the FBI harassing imams, people being held up at borders. So uh, for me, those are consistently the most pressing issues, and we all need to uh, rally behind pushing back against them. Um, ultimately, uh, I, I do think the battle for conservatism uh, isn't necessarily to be had politically. I think it's more socially. And we definitely need to ensure our freedom is preserved to to hold on to any conservative values and beliefs and practices, right? Um, and we need to stand united to push back against any attempts to uh, uh, limit our ability to choose who can teach our children, who can lead us in prayer, um, you know, what services our masajid are, uh, can perform or are forced to perform. We need to be united in that. Um, and after that, in, in terms of our uh, effort as a community, um, it's, it's, it's important that we work just as hard for our faith and our values that others are working. I think ultimately, if we are not engaged, if we uh, become hopeless uh, or, or if we condemn the whole system, it, you know, people will continue to use it to further their ends, uh, whether it's politically, uh, whether it's in terms of family values, social values. And we just have to work harder for what we believe in than others are working for what they believe in. But I think it's important to understand that the political sphere is not the only sphere. I think for us, the political sphere is necessary to the extent that we are able to have the freedom for us to practice our faith. And we have to work for that and, and ensure that children aren't afraid. I mean, I remember my, some of my closest friends growing up, they would not come to the masjid anymore because their father was afraid to send them to the masjid because of the FBI entrapment operations and because of the spying by the government. So I've always believed that's amongst the most damaging things. And if we have the safety to practice our faith, then I think we push forward very strongly uh, in, ter uh, in terms of advancing our agenda as it comes to our faith, our morals, our ethics, our beliefs uh, through dawah, through education and through social avenues that are different than the political avenues. Now, uh, so I mean, just to take it to the other side, so that you know, in terms of the left-leaning Muslims uh, now in a Biden presidency, what needs to occur in, in in this in this in this camp? In terms of my impression of a lot of left-leaning, there's it, it sort of goes to the issue of like principles versus being pragmatic in terms of like whether you want to hold the line about a certain principle. Right. Or whether you want to um, compromise something so you can get something else. Right. And I feel uh, especially in, in, the, in, in on, on the more liberal agenda that a lot of Muslims have fallen prey to that in terms of, um, you know, previous podcast, we talked about like using using even the, the idea of the Malkasid like as in as a greater objective to to uh, legitimize something that may not be actually within um, the, um, the 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 tenets of the deen. So, like, you know, for example, a Muslim uh, may. Uh, in terms of trying to further uh, advance an agenda related to, uh, say, affordable health care or health care for all or um, immigration reform. Um, and in, in doing that and trying to focus on that, they will compromise on some of these other uh, uh, issues, like, for example, like abortion or some of the issues related to um uh, you know, this gender, uh, LGBT, gender fluidity, these sort of things. Um, what are some of the things that that uh, that in this in this group of uh, a group of our Muslim community that they need to um, look at very closely in the in the coming years? Uh, again, I think this goes back to the basic. I, I, I'm basically critical of. You know, I'll, I'll let Sidi Hassan be the you know, be the person who instills hope and i'll be the one who who acts a little more <laughs> negative in this, in this podcast but um 
you know, it just goes back to this. I mean, I think we agree on this general point that we we just we don't have a defined vision. We don't have a clear strategy. Uh, we don't have uh, a clear understanding of what are the issues. How do we assess these issues in terms of their importance? To us as a Muslim community, and not just us, you know, I'm sure as as uh, a part of care who is dealing with these civil rights issues, that someone like Sid Hassan is is of course interested and 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 takes seriously the civil rights of, you know, a lot of other Americans who are not part of the Muslim community, because all these things sort of you know feed into each other. You know, the way other minority groups uh, are treated, uh, uh, you know, might end up being the way Muslims are treated, um, and so. But but so so I think we're lacking uh, a deeper discussion on these issues. We are single policy, you know, yeah. or you know, one policy, two policy voters, like a lot of other people. But I think we should at least expect something more from our our leadership. And because activism has sort of occupied that space of leadership uh, in our communities, or at least that's the voices that a lot of people hear when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to political issues. I just think that, to be honest, I think a lot of activists, um, they lack vision, they lack strategy. It is no coincidence that everything they espouse, either firmly on you know, the far left uh, right. uh, you know, spectrum, or if you're, if you're on the right, I mean, I don't know a lot of activists on the right, but if you're on the right, you end up going down that road. Uh, as well, you know, you you're espousing identity politics, you're espousing intersectionality, uh, you're espousing espousing a, a, a grievance culture. Uh, you know, your it seems like your 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 goal is all about a type of recognition. Uh, you know, a type of adaptation of Islam as like an ethnic identity. You know, so you're speaking of uh, uh, Muslimness and not sort of an Islamic. Um, uh, identity, and we've 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 basically absorbed all the categories and the frames and the language and the outlook and the politics, uh, the metaphysics, the epistemology of of whatever group that we are that 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 we are uh, part of, and you see it in the language. You know, I I've seen uh, some Muslim civil rights group where you know the people who are part of these groups. You know, I just I just went on a website today actually to read an article, and the individual in his bio it was like you know you know. Fulan, Fulan, you know, and then in brackets, he, him. And I'm like, come on, man, he, him, I can look at your picture. Yeah. I know you're, <laughs> you know, I know you're he, him, you know? And so these, these things are, are, are very worrying for me. Uh, yeah. uh, not the, the imbibing of uh, this worldview of, you know, from, from this, from this foreign, uh, foreign ideology. And then basically what activism has come to represent in so many Muslim uh, spaces, which is uh, uh, a type of it's it's almost like a type of temperament, you know. Uh, uh, and and I remember, you know, this 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 I was reading an article once, and it was actually by an activist, a left activist who was criticizing activism, and said that uh, you know by some quirk of personality, activists are people who enjoy long meetings, shouting slogans, and spending a night or two in jail the way others may savor a glass of wine, right? And so she's like, she, this person is basically saying activism is sort of subculture with its own rules that has, uh, uh, likes to hashtag its way to quote-unquote success or cancel people or, you know, uh, go down to the border to raise awareness and then 
do all weird types of rituals, uh, which was a which was a controversy that 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 mm. I'm sure some of you are aware of. Um, yeah. And their intentions, you know, their intentions are good. I don't I don't I don't deny that a lot of the activists have have good intentions. I just don't see that they're filtering any of this through a a through primarily through an Islamic lens, and I don't see the actual strategy uh, uh, that they're adopting being something that's that's uh, that's effective and, and and well thought out. To, to be to be honest, you know the issue with that. To be quite candid, is that there is so many fires to put out and and i think you know from the activists that are sincere that are rooted in faith that are i think working uh to stay stay within the bounds of the sharia and to seek the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by uh, fighting for our faith and our community you know they're overworked and under-resourced uh without the luxury unfortunately to strategize to 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 set a clear goals and clear vision literally it's it's responding to one crisis to the next uh, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day of phone calls. Um, and and the weight of the entire community, I think, in terms of legal problems and uh, are falling on their shoulders. And to that extent, then, um, sometimes silly things happen, you know, and I think the, the what you mentioned in California uh, with, with the border where some, some silly uh, and uh, un-Islamic ceremonies occurred at their event, I was speaking with them and they were all shocked at what had happened. They weren't expecting it. They were caught in an awkward moment. Uh, they regretted it. But at the same time, I think it's not, uh, uh, you know, the right thing to define. And I and you're not doing this, certainly, Sheikhna. Uh, but, but as others have maybe defined their entire work and activism through the lens of that mistake, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I completely, I, I, I completely right. understand that, and I, sure, I love some of those, some of those brothers, uh, yeah. and I think, I think there are some people who are genuinely more careful about um, trying to filter their their ideas or how they express themselves or the positions they take through an Islamic lens, right? But um, the religious scholar who's an activist is one phenomenon. Then there's you have the pure activist is another phenomenon. You have various fronts. You know, there's there's some people like like yourself who are strictly engaged in, uh, uh, you know, civil rights on a legal front, uh, and so I think you have your mandate more. I think it's more defined in 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 a way, but then there are others who are just. Uh, I can't even I, I can't even pinpoint them. It's such a activism is such a generic category, uh, but but my concern again is that the type of language we're using the type of frames that we're using uh uh you know you know filtering things through critical theories you know and and and, and other such um and you know people argue and i've had discussion and people people will say things like oh no it's just uh, it's just you know it's, it's just a framework for understanding things and you know me as an academic you know i would say you know i tell them i'm like well frameworks they they do have consequences in terms of how you look at the world you know, something like critical race theory and, you know, I'll quote Bill Maher over here, who's maybe not the best example, but it's a very short and sweet statement. He's like, we went from, I don't see race at all to I see race everywhere, you know? So in the Muslim community, what do we say? White Muslim, brown Muslim, who are you as, you know, who are you to tell me you know, how I should feel or what I should do or, you know, whatever it might be. I think if you apply that model to the time of the Sahaba, you probably commit kufr, you know, if you apply this critical race race model, you know? Who is Abu Bakr to tell the slaves how he should feel? Or who is, you know, 
the prophet as a, a you know privileged individual you know so we need to really think carefully about the, the frames that that we're that we're uh, that we are using and that we are not uh, um, um, that it's not perpetuating something that is contrary to how the Quran and the Sunnah teaches us to look at the world and to deal at the world to deal with the world and to look at people and to deal with people that's my biggest worry about uh, the direction I think that a lot of our discourse is 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 taking in in, in the West. Uh, so great point, Zakallah uh, Khir, Sidi Salman. With uh, you know that being said, we have this general kind of engagement uh, decision making process between being principled uh, versus being uh, pragmatist, so to speak. And and here comes a way, at least in my point of view, to connect things. And uh, you know, uh, again, at the U.S. level, does being principled in this very flawed, you know, uh, socio-political environment, risk further alienation. Of, like this particular podcast, this entire discourse can be viewed as either, uh, you know, something that is totally, totally alien to what's going on on the ground, or it can be viewed as a mechanism for us to keep digging ourselves into a hole. And and I seek refuge, uh, you know, from us, uh, from uh, being in that state. But what are the risks of making bargains uh, to advance an agenda for a presumed greater good here? You know, we all have the same heart, you know, which is inshallah to do something good and to do something that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But where do we fall here? And I want to start with you, uh, Sidi Hassan. You know, I remember when uh, one year we were fighting the anti-Sharia legislation. So I called one of my dear friends who's, mashallah, a black American Muslim convert and uh, who memorized the Quran and ultimately became a scholar, mashallah, uh, Sheikh Mikhail Smith, uh, who's now with Qalam. And I, I told him, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, we defeated the anti-Sharia legislation. He said, oh, good. Does that mean people are actually going to practice their Sharia? They're going to practice their deen? <laughs> so there's no point in having the freedom to practice our faith if we sell out our faith to get that freedom or if we're not going to practice to begin with. So it, it, it gets back to priorities, you know, and ultimately there are, there, there are times where compromises must be made. And, and, but we cannot use that as an excuse to turn away from our deen and our morals, uh, you know, and, and of course the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and, and other examples in Islamic history, uh, we're all familiar with it. You know, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he certainly made not compromises in principles, but compromises in terms of uh, uh, the legal rights and the interactions that he had with, with individuals for a greater good. But ultimately, he was driven by what would lead people's faith to be strongest at the end. And that's ultimately has to be our priority. We have to build that as the priority. What will make our faith strong? You know, I take the position that if we have freedom to practice our faith, then we can engage in da'wah, we can engage in teskia, we can engage in ta'lim, and we can build the hearts up so that they can stand up for moral, for character, for faith, uh, for justice, and most importantly, for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, people may also have the, the perspective that if uh, certain parties allow, uh, you know, uh, problematic practices, immoral practices to flourish, that will misguide our youth. So they may be against it. Uh, but ultimately, we have to be driven by what is 
you know, what is going to facilitate the, the greatest strength for our personal faith and our conviction. Uh, and I don't know if that's always the priority. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily always the priority. And, and I don't know if we're in agreement. Now, I mean, we as a group are, mashallah, in this podcast, but as a community, you know, what is our priorities? And I think we have to pull people back towards the priorities. Once we've agreed upon the priority that the priority is the preservation of the deen, uh, then we can discuss the strategies. And we may disagree on the strategies. And, and sometimes there may be serious disagreements and the Sahaba had their serious disagreements as well. But at least they were aligned. And that's why they were aligned in the priority being the preservation of the deen. Um, and we have to build that up. Uh, everything else is temporary. We're all going to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah isn't going to ask us who the president is. He's going to ask us about our faith in him and, and our devotion to the sunnah of Rasulullah and then our service to, to this deen and, and to humanity. Um, so to be honest, the more I've done the political work and the legal work, if you listen to my khutbahs, my public talks, they're often about faith, spirituality, being proud of our identity and, and being united amongst each other and working together. You know, I don't preach about politics, although I work politics, I work law, I work civil rights cases. But the, but in terms of our survival, it, our survival is exclusively dependent upon our faith, our tawakkul on Allah and our love for each other and our commitment to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To the extent we can do all that, and then we must make certain compromises, okay, as long as those priorities remain the priorities. If those priorities are no longer the priorities or the direction we are heading in politically will undermine those priorities, then we're going in the wrong direction. Wallahu alam. I would agree with what Sidi uh, Hassan said. Uh, just trying to word it differently, and I hope I'm not mis- misrepresenting his position. I think what we need, what we need to understand within the Muslim community or as a Muslim community is that there are multiple fronts uh, that we need to engage on and there are multiple ways we need to engage quote unquote system and society in order to make our our, our, our vision of preserving this deen and being able to cultivate uh, generations of you know upright practicing Muslims who are confident in their in, in their faith so moral a type of what I call moral idealism has a role to play in that political pragmatism has a role to play in that uh, and then there are various sort of you know social and uh, social requirements that we need to engage in uh, such as you know taking seriously building of institutions uh, building of uh, masajid uh, you know getting people you know, educating people regarding regarding the Muslim faith etc um, etc et one of the problems I think that occurs within the Muslim community is that we don't understand that I can agree that you, as my brother, can be the idealist. You can keep everyone's feet to the fire because there are some issues where we need to you know, affirm those issues or we need to oppose those issues because our religion morally demands it. Right. There are certain issues that we should not be in our in our messaging. We should not be compromising on in terms of uh, the the moral value that our tradition assigns to them. But at the same time, the issue becomes when that becomes an impediment to someone who's actually working within the um, political. When 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 the idealists, you know, get in the way of the pragmatists, uh, in a way that actually ends up maybe harming the community, uh, that's a problem. When the pragmatists, you know, lash out against the idealists, 
which in turn sort of you know it has a, it has a an effect of sort of demoralizing the issue in, in a way you know if there's not someone who's you know constantly reiterating that you know x is not permitted in our tradition you know y is demanded in our in a, in, a, in our faith and so i think both parties need to work hand in hand uh, so you know oftentimes what ends up happening is you know when i think to myself about um Again, I'm sorry to bash on the activists. I, again, I apologize to all the listeners. Uh, but, you know, when the activists, when they want to reach their, their zero and they want to reach 0.100, which is their goal, they'd rather stay at zero than compromise and reach, you know, level 40. Um, and, we, and we see, and you know, we see that a lot sort of in our discourse. It's almost a very absolutist type of discourse and, and demands. Universal health care or nothing. You know, you know, the Green New Deal or Trump, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the type of decisions a lot of people were making in like 2016. Um, and so I think that both of them have a role to play uh, as long as, as Sidi Hassan said, that we have a common vision, that we are doing this to preserve uh, Islam within the the American context. And by Islam, I don't mean Islam as some sort of ethnic identity. I mean Islam as an actual faith tradition that that, that, that we can practice, that we can teach our children, that we can, you know, uh, uh, express uh, uh, openly and so on and, and, and so forth. Um, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a final question, uh, um, you know, certainly, you know, what we'll be discussing today, um, you know, might come across as confusing for uh because we're all we all you know we're all trying to figure things out in terms of strategies we're talking about vision um and i wanted to you know as a final question Sheikh Salman, for you to answer was uh, on two points number one um what about the uh you know mitigating the desire for many of us to be apolitical because we are because again the, the complexity of the situation multiple issues uh, unable to you know sort of be princi- feeling principled uh, you know because there's so many conflicting issues um so the desire may be just be like let's just stay out of it and be apolitical um so if you could comment on that and then as a final question is um as i stated in the very beginning you know that um uh, many of us are just tired and you know, in addition to our confusion, uh, this election, COVID, everything that's going on, um, what is your advice for uh, uh, for us and our listeners in uh, in in dealing with this sort of just fog and fatigue, uh, and you know, keeping us anchored in uh, you know the message of uh, of uh, of our uh, Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, so that we can we get past this emotional uh, state and sort of spiritual you know a crisis, if you will. Yeah, on the apolitical, apolitical question, um, one of the things that obviously uh, I should make clear is that there's no there's no expectation on the average Muslim to have read you know Joe Biden's policy statements on various issues or Donald Trump's policy issues on various uh, various statements. If a normal individual wants to be apolitical, then like I said, there are various ways you can contribute to the Muslim community. You know, you can be someone who starts attending the masjid. You can be someone who, you know, sits with the teacher and learns his religion and then passes it, passes it on to his children. You can be someone who, who instills an envir- Islamic environment in his own in his own home, um, you know, you can you can contribute to various causes that 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 help 
uh, you know, maintain our religious values or religious freedoms or whatever it might be. There are all sorts of ways that individuals can can contribute without, uh, quote unquote, becoming political in in, in, a, in a very overt sense. I think when we talk about standards and vision, this is up to leadership in our Muslim community to to uh, uh, to, to define and then to instruct people. Uh, regarding. Now, of course, leadership of the Muslim community, it's, it's a sort of very vague concept because, you know, we don't have, it's not like we have some sort of central body where our leaders are are elected, but anyone who wants to step on that pedestal of leadership, I'm sorry, there's just specific standards that we should expect from you, uh, especially in a political context, that you have some sort of political literacy, that you're able to weigh issues that you have some awareness of the Islamic tradition, that you are in consultation with other people who uh, are, are part of the community, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that we can distinguish, you know, in that regard between being political and between being apolitical and what demands and expectations we have um, uh, of people occupying some, some of these various spheres. Uh, the second question that uh, you, you, you mentioned regarding, I guess, being exhausted. Yeah, you know, this, this fatigue and emotional sort of crisis, spiritual crisis that uh, a lot of us are, you know, just dealing with all the things going on. Shesley, you know, man, help, help news, him out. Help Salim, he's, he's really tired. Help him out, please. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I think it's natural. Uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of Muslims in the past, especially the righteous Muslims, the awliya and stuff, would find it extremely bizarre <laughs> that, that a believer is uh, becoming so anxious over, you know, a, a political election. And I think that that basically speaks to the issue of, uh, you know, is our, is our vision, is, our, is it focused on something temporal or is it focused on something eternal where we can actually, uh, uh, you know, we can, we can, we can recognize uh, the particular context that we're in and situated within the broader scheme of things. And the broader scheme of things is, you know, in, 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 the, grand, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, pretty much everything is irrelevant except, you know, the few rak'ahs that we do at night mm-hmm. or the few tasbihat that we do or, you know, our, our efforts to raise our kids according to the Islamic faith, people who love Allah and, and, and His Messenger. Besides that, you know, I mean, the when you look at the Prophet's life, والسلام, and all the hardship that he went through, which most of us, you know, we have not gone through an ounce of hardship compared to what the early Muslims uh, went through. Um, it was, of course, it was, an, it was an emotional experience for them. It was a painful experience uh, for them, but it didn't jolt them in quite the way uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, Many normal people get jolted because I, I because the Prophet والسلام, and the Sahaba they recognized uh, what the end goal was. They recognized where the road was was heading. Right? We come from Allah. We go back to Allah. That's it. That's that, that's the end of the story. People are gonna go. Leaders are gonna go. Hard times are gonna come. Bad times are gonna come. You know, soon we're gonna we're 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 gonna die, uh, and we're gonna be held to account for our deeds. And so I think it's all about you know. It's it's about spiritual cultivation. I think we need to we need to cultivate ourselves spiritually. I think we've lost sight of what I call a tahidi worldview, where we're really in tune with, uh, uh, um, you know, how everything basically expresses and should be a reminder for us of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's oneness, 
that tyrants are a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, uh, uh, you know, qudra uh, and his, his, his irada uh, and, and, and other uh, attributes of his, that good times are a sign of it, that natural disasters are, are, are a sign of, uh, you know, pointing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that basically everything in, 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 in the world that we see is effectively uh, a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is manifesting to test us and to see, you know, what our connection with him is like and whether we see some opportunity in that to uh, return to him and to strengthen uh, our relationship with, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so again, this goes back to Sidi Hassan's point that um, on one level, you know, uh, Islamophobia is bad, but it's not a threat to strong believers, right? It is not a threat to strong believers. Uh, and we've seen this throughout history. Uh, even though I don't, you know, I have some issues with the term Islamophobia, I won't get into that. But the idea of Muslims being under threat uh, has never perturbed uh, a, 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 a Muslim community that had solid spiritual and religious foundations. And that doesn't mean that we don't fight against it. We don't want to reach that point. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afiyah. Uh, but it does show us the importance of not pinning our hopes simply on political elites, legal systems, courts, whatever it might be, and really, you know, taking personal responsibility for for, for cultivating, uh, 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 you know, spirituality and religiosity in ourselves and within uh, our our community as well. Alhamdulillah, it's a great note to uh, end on. I'd like to thank uh, Sheikh Salman Yunus and uh, Hassan Shibli for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but um, this certainly was a, a very beneficial conversation for me. And I hope for a lot of you out there, Ghidar, great to have you yep, on again. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, both, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank uh, all the listeners again for tuning in. Um, and uh, until then, we'll see you at the next episode. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you.